Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host Denise Messenger for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, which is August 26, 2015. We're going to have a really interesting show for you today, and I'm really hopeful that all our listeners will open up their minds to a new way of thinking today because what we're going to be talking about is some pretty cutting-edge information, particularly in relation to medical treatments. I have a very special guest. She is the author of the book called Honest Medicine. Her name is Julia Shopik. She's an award-winning blogger and a healthcare and healing professional. The um, interesting thing about what we're going to be discussing today is Julie has found time-tested, inexpensive treatments for life-threatening diseases. And these cover diseases such as cancer, wound healing, liver disease, epilepsy. We could go on and on and on. So let me bring her onto our show now. I don't want to waste any more time because we don't get to spend that much time with her. As far as I'm concerned, an hour isn't long enough to interview people that are so passionate and so informed about their subjects. Hello, Julia. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Denise. How are you? I'm so glad to be here today. I'm just great, and our listeners are great, too, because we get to listen to you. Oh, I'm happy to be here (laughs) and to be listened to. <laughs> oh, I always start my show out by asking my guests, "How did you get on the path that you're on today?" Well, the way I got on my path, you know, I should have been on that path earlier because my dad was a doctor and he instilled in me a deep skepticism about the medical profession. Not that I was skeptical of, about him; he was skeptical about his fellow doctors, and he did not like the way medicine was going. And this was in the 50s and 60s. But nothing works like having an experience for yourself. You know, that was listening to my dad, uh, and this was an experience of my own that I'm about to tell you about. In 1990, when my husband, it was five years after we were married, he was 40 years old, and he was diagnosed with a cancerous brain tumor. And that was when I started to really, really have to be more involved with the medical profession. And for the first three years, I bet people thought, people all thought, 
that because of my background, you know, with my dad and the skepticism, that I would be very, very skeptical about what doctors were telling us. But that's not true. What happened was that both my husband and I, both Tim and I, became terrified. And, I mean, the diagnosis of a brain tumor is just terrifying. And we were we went in lockstep with whatever the doctor suggested, and that was a surprise to to a lot of people knowing me. But we did the well. He had to have the surgery. He, his tumor was the size of an orange, for God's sake. He had to have the surgery. He had radiation. He had chemo. And then I began to notice that he was developing every side effect and every complication that one could get from especially the radiation. He got seizures. He got a radiation-caused stroke. He got hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain, and then he had to have surgeries to correct the hydrocephalus, and they put in a shunt. I could go on and on, but I think your listeners would not want to hear everything that happened because it was too too much, you know. And I began finally. You know, it's it's sometimes, you know, Denise, just too much to, to think about, you know, with all the things that went wrong. So finally, I began to do my research, and I found a nutritionist named Jean Wallace, whose area was cancer, and especially brain tumors. We changed my husband's diet. We gave him, she prescribed supplements for him, and he began to really thrive. And his doctors had given him three years to live. He began to not only live longer, four years, five years, six years, he ended up living 15 years. Post-diagnosis. Oh my gosh! I know, I know. Oh my it gosh! Was, and feeling great until mm-hmm. there, until there was an incident where he really, you know, was was just toppled. And that was that. By the way, the one thing I noticed was as he was doing great, I shouldn't jump ahead. The doctors were not at all interested in anything we were doing that was making him better. You know, oh they weren't. Oh my in, gosh! Oh. I know. You know, they just they, all That's they were so interested sad. in. It's, it is sad because, you know, Denise, doctors could be learning from patients, it's, you know, and learning for their other patients because Tim even tried to tell his doctor. At one point, the doctor asked him, what medications are you on? And Tim said he, he reeled off the medications, and then he said, but I'm on a lot of supplements too, doctor. And you know what the doctor said? He said, next question, meaning he did not want to know about the supplements. But then in 2001, 10 years after, 11 years after actually, the original tumor, his tumor came back. And this time we got into some real trouble because I had a feeling that uh, we he should not have that operation, you know, the, the second brain tumor operation because his skin had had trouble healing with the first operation. And after having radiation, the skin becomes even more fragile. So I had this awful feeling, and I should have trusted it, but I didn't. And Tim had the surgery, and then his skin just wouldn't heal. And I won't bore you with details, but let me just tell you that eight additional oh. surgeries. I know, I know. Eight? Eight, eight, eight surgeries? Oh, eight. my gosh. Excuse me for screaming. It gets me so mad. Because of course, eight, of course. Eight additional surgeries in a vain attempt to get two pieces of skin that would hold together. And <gasps> I know. This is it's a horror story. Nothing worked until finally I'm a PR consultant. I was in I was talking with a, a holistic doctor on behalf of one of my clients 
and this doctor I knew professionally and personally, and he asked about how Tim was doing, and I broke down. I said, terribly, you know, he's not healing. As a matter of fact, I told my friend, with every operation, he's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Right now, he's lying in the hospital with with tubes coming out of his head and cranial fluid leaking and the whole nine yards. Oh. I know, I know, and we can't get it to stop. And the doctor told me, he said, have you heard about Silver Lawn? And I said, Silver what? And he told me about this treatment that had been FDA approved for all non-healing wounds. And I say that slowly because I don't want any of your listeners to think that any of the treatments that I write about were, you know, not tested, not the real deal. So I used my PR skills. I got the president of the company (laughs) named Bart Flick. He was wonderful, Dr. Flick, to donate. I didn't ask him to donate, but he did, you know, to donate the silver lawn. And Tim was in the hospital. God knows how I did this, but the doctor said, okay, you know, you can put it on his head. And by the way, Denise, I don't know if your listeners know how difficult that is. Doctors don't like anything brought into the hospital which is not theirs. You know, I know, so I know. We put it um, on. Hold a, on a second, um, Julia. I think we've got an incoming call from a listener. Okay, um, great. Let's see. Hello, you're on Health Media Now Radio with our oh, special hi. guest, Julia. Yes, um, I. It's my name's Jane, and I really was just calling in. I'm really inter- interested in your show. Um, I don't know exactly what you're going to cover, but. Um, I guess my question, I am one of those people that's becoming very intolerant to so many things. I have a gluten intolerance, and now um, so many foods are becoming sensitive to me now. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of digestive issues. Do you have any suggestions for... When Julia, you have, have you run across good? anything well, of, like actually, this? Actually, if you have celiac disease, if you know, we... Uh, one of the treatments I'm going to be discussing with, with Denise in a few minutes called low-dose naltrexone has been very, very effective uh, with with that. Uh, oh, by the okay. way, gluten intolerance is more and more, is more is, let me put it another way, is less and less rare these days. And we can't figure out why, but we actually think it probably has to do with what's being done to the wheat. So, and the other. Yeah, and it's, yeah. but I think it's probably, I think I'm probably celiac, but because it's react, I react to different things in a very bad way, but it took a long time to develop it. So, well, one of the treatments that I do write about uh, is is very very good for for autoimmune conditions, among which is, celiac is an autoimmune condition. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm uh-huh. just not able to digest my food properly, so I ended have ended up with a lot of deficiencies in vitamins. Um, so I'm at a very risk for a lot of things, you know, and I'm trying to do everything right, but it's not helping. Well, I, I hope have, that the um, information we provide is going to be of help to you. Perfect. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, please please stay tuned in. Thanks for calling. Thank well, you. Thank you, Jane. Um, but as as I was talking about, I, I need to tell mm-hmm. the end of the story because the end of the story is, is what got me on very my important. way. Very important. Yes. Of course. Because... We put the silver lawn, which was pieces of material impregnated with silver ions, FDA approved for all non-healing wounds, put it on Tim's head, on my husband's head. He began healing literally overnight. And I thought the doctors would be delighted. I mean, you know, they had mm-hmm. had one. Mm-hmm. No. 
they actually no. started looking mm-hmm. the other way. You know, they had liked me before this. You know? And one doctor came <laughs> up to me and he said, you know, we really don't think it was what you found with the accent on you. That is what healed your husband's skin. And I said, oh, well, what do you think it was, doctor? And he said the words that really, well, he said, we think it was the vancomycin. That's the IV antibiotic that Tim had been on for six weeks at least. And I said, but doctor, he's been on the IV antibiotic vancomycin for six weeks. Here are the words he said. He said, vancomycin is like that. It kicks in. I was amazed. I said to myself, what a miracle that the vancomycin decided to finally work after six weeks mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. we gave, that we put the silver line on his head. So I Speechless. knew. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Mm-hmm. I knew that something was very, very wrong with American medicine, with, with the whole medical profession, and the idea that doctors could not learn from patients from experience as opposed to what they're taught in med school. And that's when I decided that, you know, Tim Tim lived for three and a half more years, but could, we could not get him back. I mean, by that time, after all those surgeries, he was bed-bound. He was, oh gosh, he was really brain-injured, whereas he had not been before the second craniotomy, the second brain tumor surgery. But all of these assaults on his on his head just just never he never quite recovered. But he did live for another three and a half years, which was very important to me. And after he died, I decided that I was going to do something, you know, to help other people. And that's what I'm trying to do with my book. Yes, and again, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Julia Shopik. And she's the author of the book called Honest Medicine. Why do you suppose doctors just aren't receptive to treatments that are outside what they've been taught or what they've what they're presented um, well, to work with? One of the contributors to my to my book to Honest Medicine named Dr. Bert Berkson who is the pioneer for one of the treatments, intravenous alpha-lipoic acid for liver disease, he actually has a theory, and I think he's right. He says that doctors are trained and not educated, and he says there's a big difference between training and education. And the difference is that training, which is what he says doctors get, and which I'm, I'm sure he's right, Training is more following rules. You know, you read about it, you follow what the doctor, what your professor says, you do it, and that's it. You don't question. Education is different. Education is what you pointed out, Denise, thinking outside the box. And he points out, oh, my God, it's a great chapter. I can't, I, I'd love to have your listeners have, have, have read it even before hearing me. Uh, because he talks about he had gotten a Ph.D. first before he went to med school. And in in uh, graduate school, getting the Ph.D., he said the professors were all very interested in the students, you know, asking questions and even arguing with the professors. The professor said this was good good education, you know, if a student has another idea different from the professor. He said so when he went to med school, he started to raise his hand and ask questions, and he was taken aside and told by his professor, you better stop because you'd better just your your job is to sit here take notes 
listen to what we say, and spout those answers back on the test. And Dr. Berkson was in shock, but he learned, and uh, I don't know if he ever really did learn because he's not the kind of guy to just take it, but I think he learned to keep to zip up his mouth, you know, and <laughs> at yeah, least he got yeah. his MD degree. <laughs> Good. So let's talk about let's talk about um, four of the treatments that you're the most passionate about, and that you writ you know your book really covers them well. Well, we can start with any one of them. Why don't we start with probably the one that applies to the most people? Does that sound good? Okay, that's okay. great. Yeah, um, one of the ones, and we'll talk about Dr. Berkson's treatment l- later, but. But the treatment okay. that more people, more people really, really can benefit from is called low dose naltrexone. It's the it's the one I mentioned to Jane when she called in, uh, because low dose naltrexone is a treatment that has been very successful with many, many, many people, thousands, as a matter of fact, could be hundreds of thousands by now, with thousands and thousands of people with autoimmune diseases or with diseases of a dysfunctional immune system. And the way it was developed is absolutely fascinating, thank goodness, for curious doctors, you know, um, who are different from what Dr. Berkson describes. Because this Dr. Bernard Bahari was a very curious doctor. And when naltrexone, uh, not low-dose naltrexone, but naltrexone at 55-0 milligrams, was approved by the FDA for a whole different reason. It was approved in 1984 for heroin addiction. And the theory was that you gave it to drug addicts for heroin addicts, and it stopped the craving for the heroin. And uh, Dr. Bahari was working with heroin addicts in New York City. He was actually pretty high up. He, at, at one point, he ran all the methadone programs in in New York, I mean, he was very high up in, in the uh, in the administration in New York City, and uh, he said, "Oh, I, I'll try this with some of my uh, heroin addicts," and he did, and he found that indeed it did craving for heroin. He said, "Unfortunately, at such a high dose, they went nuts. The patients, you know, he said they couldn't even remember things that they had known the day before." So he said, "Well, this is not good," but no, not he work. noticed yeah. that the drug had immune-boosting, uh, endorphin-boosting and immune-modulating is the word he used, uh, characteristics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he said, I wonder if I lowered the dose, if I could still get good results. And he kept lowering it and lowering it, and then finally it was three milligrams. And he gave it, you know, a lot of the people who were his uh, drug addicts also had what was later called HIV-AIDS. He gave it to them in very low doses, and in many cases, it stopped the progression of the HIV-AIDS. And then he said, hmm, I bet it would work for other conditions that are characterized by a dysfunctional immune system. And a friend of his daughter's came down or was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And she came. Oh, my gosh. Dr. I know. She came to Dr. Bahari. And there, by, the, by the way, Denise, there were no MS drugs on the market at that time. Thank goodness because she would have been given one of them, right? And yes, she came, yes. She yes. came to Dr. Bahari and she said, I, would, would your drug work on, multiple, on my multiple sclerosis? He said, well, there's no harm in trying. I mean, at this low dose, there are hardly any side effects at all. 
So what do you think he found? Her MS stopped progressing. And this oh, my was, gosh. I know. And this was in the mid-'80s, and there, we didn't have the Internet then. But all we had was pencil, paper, pens, paper, <laughs> and phone. Telephone. <laughs> and people started, not even cell phones. And people started calling each other and telling them about this Dr. Bahari, and people made the trip to New York with all sorts of autoimmune diseases, including rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, Crohn's disease, oh gosh, uh, chronic fatigue, um, just just lupus, uh, mm-hmm. just a whole bunch. There are over 100. I, I, you, I, I can't name all of them, but there are over 100 autoimmune diseases that, that are known. And everybody, not every single person, but enough people no. were having wonderful results. So, Unfortunately, every individual has a different body chemistry. That's right. That's right. So I don't want I don't want anybody to think that this is like snake oil. You know, it'll work for every single person no. in the whole uh-uh. wide world because that's not true. Uh-uh. But no. it did work for so many. And then this is interesting: small studies began to be done that bore out what he found. Uh, Penn State, Pennsylvania State, did three studies on uh, Crohn's disease, low-dose naltrexone for Crohn's disease. Worked beautifully. Um, uh, Stanford, three studies on fibromyalgia. Again, great results. Um, University of California, San Francisco, multiple sclerosis. Again, great results. And this was impressive, you know. So... This is how this drug now if you go on uh, if you go on Facebook you will see there are loads of low dose naltrexone groups on Facebook. There's one called uh, Got Endorphins question mark LDN. There's another one for rheumatoid arthritis, another one for chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. There are just loads another one for thyroid disease. There's just loads of of Facebook groups and people are just helping each other. You know, to get doctors mm-hmm, who will prescribe mm-hmm. it, and uh, to get compounding pharmacies who will make it correctly. It's it's a wonderful thing. So that is, I would say, my poster child for my book because sure. more people call me after each show that I'm on and say, "How do I get low dose naltrexone?" I've had I five. Bet. Of my I, bet. I know. You know, their doctors don't tell I them bet. about it. Mm-hmm. So well, and and it is. I mean, even in the um, alternative medicine world, complementary medicine world of physicians, they're all so busy in their practices that to keep up on everything is almost impossible, and especially when most of them run their own practices as well. True. You know, they, there's only so many minutes in a day. And, you know, um, you, um, you provide a good service by getting out there and letting people know about these. And you know what? More and more doctors are being open to learning about this treatment and other treatments. But, you know, I guess it still upsets me when a patient will tell a doctor about low-dose naltrexone and the doctor still mm-hmm. won't prescribe it. You know, they'll, and I'm doing mm-hmm. coaching sessions, you know, to help them to, to bring the right information to the doctor because that's another problem. Mm-hmm. When patients want to try a treatment, they'll often come with you know piles of stuff from the internet, and doctors go crazy. Of with course. That, you know? Well, of course, and especially when they have such a limited amount of time to spend with their patients. Right. 
that complicates things dearly. It, it definitely so what does. So, what would be the second? What would be the second one? My second that you were really impressed child. with. <laughs> Actually, I'm impressed Your with poster all child. of them. <laughs> but I have to tell right. you, I, I I I often tell people I lucked out with the treatments that I chose, but that's not true. I really researched them for for several years. As a matter of fact, when Tim mm-hmm. was sick, I was busy yeah. researching them. But my second. Yeah, that's a long time. It it was. My second one that I love to talk about is the ketogenic diet for for epilepsy, but for pediatric epilepsy in particular. And the reason this is so fascinating is that, you know, the ketogenic diet, which is a high-fat, low-carbohydrate, low-protein diet, was actually the standard of care from the 1920s on at at, uh, Mayo Clinic, at Johns Hopkins, and children, this was the only treatment they had before the era of the pharmaceuticals, you know, before anti-seizure medication. Ah, interesting. I, very interesting. And uh, But unfortunately, or fortunately for some, I believe it was 1938 that Dilantin came on the market. And then soon after that, there were other anti-seizure medications. And after the anti-seizure medications came on the market, let's face it, it's easier and more profitable to to uh, prescribe drugs rather than a diet. You know, the diet is not so easy to implement. You have to have dietitians who know what they're doing. You can be in trouble if you're put on a, a, a diet that's so stringent without medical supervision. So once these these anti-seizure medications came on the market, uh, the diet fell out of favor until 1994. Mm-hmm when a Hollywood producer, director, writer named Jim Abrams, some of your listeners may know of the movie Airplane with Leslie Nielsen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very famous movie, as a matter of fact. Well, Jim Abrams is the man who wrote, directed, and produced that movie. And in 1994, his one-year-old son, Charlie, came down with intractable seizures. Those are seizures that won't quit. One seizure stops, another one begins. Oh, my gosh. Jim Sat told me that he, little Charlie had up to oh. 100 seizures a day, 100 sometimes. And he, you know, Jim had the money. He had the prestige. He went to the best mm-hmm. of the best. Mm-hmm. They only gave little Charlie one-year-old drugs. And at one point, Jim tells me that Charlie, and he, he writes about in, in my book, In Honest Medicine, that Charlie was on, I think, mm-hmm. it was four or five medications at once. And I have a link oh. in this book to a video of little Charlie walking or trying to walk. He was Remember, he was just a mm-hmm. one-year-old. And he has a harness on his back because he's he's going to oh. topple into walls. You know, he's, he's so unsteady. He's stoned. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, Jim was beside himself. He was told by the doctors that there was nothing else to do except for a brain surgery and that that he was the child was going to be on drugs for his whole life. Well, Jim went to the library. This was the age before the Internet. And what did he find out? He found out about this diet. And he found studies, small studies, that were done from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, all the way through the 1990s, showing mainly at the uh, Mayo Clinic and, as I said, Johns Hopkins, showing that the ketogenic diet helped children in 67, across the board, 67% of, of cases. 
And he brought mm-hmm. he, he had it Xeroxed. He brought it to the doctors. He said, let's try this. The doctor said, don't. It won't work. And Jim said, to my everlasting shame, I listened to them and I let them operate on my on my baby's brain. Oh, no. And oh. I know. He said there was nothing more pathetic than seeing a little lump, you know, a little baby going mm-hmm. into the operating room. And when Charlie came out of the operation, they had to give him morphine because he had such pain with the operation. What do you think happened? Seizures started again. And Jim said, enough. He took little Charlie, he and his wife Nancy, took little Charlie to Johns Hopkins, where he was put on the diet, and 48 hours later, he stopped having seizures. And they never returned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Jim at first was so happy. Can you imagine the relief? And then he got mad. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he said, "Why was I, I not told? Why were we not told about the diet?" And then he said, "Come to think of it, how about all the other people? You know, who have mm-hmm. children with epilepsy who aren't told about the diet?" And so sure. he decided that he was going to make a difference. And he was not going to go on with his illustrious movie career the way he had been, you know, going. But he was going to use all of his contacts and all of his knowledge to try to spread the word about the diet. And he set up an organization called the Charlie Foundation, named for his son. And it's C-H-A-R-L-I-E Foundation.org. And if you go there, you'll see an amazing amount of material and he hired a nutritionist, a dietitian, excuse me, who goes around the world teaching hospital personnel how to implement the diet. And, oh, by the way, I forgot a little important point. He had a good friend, he still has a good friend named Meryl Streep. And Meryl Streep did the instructional video about how to implement the diet. And they put it lovely. on Lovely, just lovely. I know. I know. And then he did a made-for-TV movie called First Do No Harm with Meryl Streep playing the mom of a son of a little boy. Oh, that's right. Oh. And then all heck broke loose. I mean, Jim had to take one room in his house for all of the letters he was getting about about why didn't we hear about this diet help us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. two of the other chapters in, in my book, In Honest Medicine, are contributed by two other parents who found that their children were helped greatly by the ketogenic diet, just like Jim's Jim's son Charlie was. And Jim is still, he, he is still doing it, you know, and he, oh my goodness, he holds conferences and all over the world, you know, on implementing dietary therapy. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty amazing story. Um, and for people to find the proper doctor and the proper dietitian to supervise this diet um they'll find the information very helpful on those websites you know what's the best part according to Jim he says i can now go to sleep at night because when mm-hmm. you go on the website mm-hmm. there is a whole there's a whole section of it devoted to hospitals in the United States and all across the world that now mm-hmm. implement the ketogenic diet. And I had the mm-hmm. honor to go to one of his conferences. It was in Illinois. And, man, you know, all these parents who come and doctors now speak at uh, at his conferences. 
because they're really finding excellent results with this diet. So, and now well, that's, it's being that's looked a great up. story. It's it, it's now there's going to be more of a story because it's now being studied for things like cancer, uh, glioblastomas, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, all sorts of other conditions. So the ketogenic diet is is, is really an amazing treatment. So fat, protein, and carbohydrates. Well, it's in it's the mainly right fat. in the right amounts. In the right amount. It's mainly fat. It's yep. mainly fat. Yeah, and you know what? This is the amazing thing. One of the people who was a contributor to to Honest Medicine to my book is Millicent Kelly. And Millicent Kelly, Millie Kelly, is the dietitian who worked for 50 years at uh, Johns Hopkins. And she tells Mm -hmm. the story. You know, doctors will say, oh, you know, this diet, it'll raise cholesterol. Oh, I forgot to tell you one important thing. And that is that usually after two years of being on the diet, the kids can go back to a normal diet. So they're only on this high-fat diet usually. Oh, that is years. important information. <laughs> it, is. it is very. But guess what? Doctors will still say, oh, well, it'll raise their cholesterol. Well, Millie Kelly has a story that she tells about in Honest Medicine of this one person. He he had disabilities. So his parents, you know, his mother is responsible for, you know, taking care of him, even in his 40s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she's kept him on the diet. We don't know why, but I guess because it's easier, you know, to keep him on the diet. And she, he's mm-hmm. been on the diet for God knows how long. And his cholesterol and his triglycerides are perfect. So I don't know what it is, but the fats do not. Well, it could, be that, it could be that perhaps some people are just deficient in, in, in certain things. You know, chemically they're deficient. Yep. It's maybe perhaps genetically driven. Yep. And um, so... This is just so very helpful for 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 them. So you know now let's what? move on to your next one. Okay, we'll move on to intravenous alpha lipoic acid. Every one of the treatments that I have in my book, in Honest Medicine, has a fascinating story behind it, and this one is no exception. Remember, I told you about. <laughs> oh gosh, this this one is actually you know the experience. People go, oh no, that. But by the time if we talk about it last. As as we are, you know, we talk, uh, we're people will not say they don't believe it <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. anyway, Dr. Bert Berkson was an intern in I believe it was 1974, and he was told that he was to watch over and take care of these patients who came into the hospital uh, with end stage liver disease from eating poisonous mushrooms. And he was told it was his job. He, he he was told there's nothing that can save them except for a liver transplant, and we don't have livers for them. So they're going to die, and it's your job, Dr. Berkson, to watch them and to take notes as to how they die and present those notes. Oh, my Grant. gosh. I know. Oh, my gosh. And Dr. Berkson says, says to me, he says, you know what? I couldn't do it. You know, I could not not try, double negative intended, I could not not try to help them. I had to try to help them, even though I had been told not to. So he called up the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, and he spoke to Dr. Fred Barter there, and he said, is there anything that you know of that can regenerate organs, especially a liver? And believe it or not, Dr. Barter said, yeah. He said, 
we're doing a we're doing studies now on something called intravenous alpha lipoic acid, and we're actually doing studies for its use in diabetic neuropathy. You know what that is? That's oh my gosh! Of lack course. of healing. Yeah, that diabetics yes. get a lot of a lot of diabetics get it in their feet. Yes, so they just. They lose they their feeling walk. in their feet. It's, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And he said, we found that a lot of people who have benefited from it for their diabetic neuropathy, also their livers have regenerated, those of them who had liver problems as well. Oh, my gosh. He says, we don't know why, but would you like to try it? And Dr. Berkson said, I would love to try it. So Dr. Barter sent Dr. Berkson via the, via the plane, you know, uh, oh. some alpha lipoic acid to be infused into these patients. Dr. Bergson picked it up at the airport, took it back to the hospital, of of course not even talking to his uh to his superiors about it, just did it kind mm-hmm. of on I infused it into his patients and guess what? Their livers started to regenerate and they got over better. Over what period of time, do you know? Do you know, you know over what, what period of time? Great question. I think it was within a period of several days to a week. Um, wow. But I, I'm, I'm not positive. But in, not sure. in any case, they weren't going downhill like they were supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So wouldn't you think that his superiors would be excited? They were. I wonder what uh, what that's from. Where what does it come from? I'll, you know, it's a natural okay. substance, but in, in when it's infused, it's it's called an it's an antioxidant. But when it's infused into patients, it becomes more of a drug category. You know, so uh, Dr. Berkson, who could could describe it much better, you know, than I, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. really, really, you know, he's now used it for oh my God, seventies, forty years already. And uh, so anyway, does he, he still practice? Absolutely. Yeah. He's he's winding down a little bit and his son Arthur is now uh is now uh practicing. Oh. So Oh, that's uh, wonderful that he's going to pass on yeah, all his knowledge to and, and train his son teach yep. him. But you know what? And where is Dr. Berkson? Where's he? Where's he um located? In Las Cruces, New Mexico. Um, he ah. knew after this experience of the doctors getting his superiors getting angry at him, you know, for doing mm-hmm. this. Oh my God, you did something that you were not told to do, and it wasn't in our formulary. And he said, "Well, are you interested in learning about it?" No, absolutely not. You know, and he knew he was mm-hmm. not long for for working in a hospital setting. So he, sure, uh, sure. You know what? He and uh, he he actually was not fired which was kind of amazing. But the reason for that was that Dr. Barter from NIH was so thrilled with Dr. Berkson's results that they came, and Dr. Berkson was like a little star, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because he had done, and Dr. Barter and Dr. Berkson did this study of 79 patients with end-stage liver disease were given intravenous alpha-lipoic acid. 75 of them got better, and that study was Jeez. published. I know. So, Dr. Berkson, but he but that, but that didn't have anything to do with liver cancer, correct? It was no. just strictly it was, sick livers. It was liver, yeah. Like cirrhosis, As a matter of fact, cirrhosis of the liver. Well, no, this one, yes. Um, the ones that he was working with at the hospital were suffering from end-stage liver disease from mushroom poisoning. Apparently, they were eating poisonous mushrooms, 
Oh, but no. The person, the person who, I know. The person who writes about it and, and who contributed a chapter to my book, Mary Jo Bean, had cirrhosis mm-hmm. of the liver and hepatitis C, both of them from uh, from uh, transfusions. She makes it very clear okay. that she didn't do any of the things you d- usually do to get those diseases. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but anyway, you know, mm-hmm. then Dr. Berkson has been working with patients with lots of different things, uh, mainly mm-hmm. liver disease, but now lots of cancers too. And you know what the interesting thing is? He also combines it with low-dose naltrexone and diet. Ah. I know. And All uh, those things. People are having excellent results. One of the people who mm-hmm. contributed a chapter to my book, uh, Paul Maras, had uh, pancreatic cancer and lived for nine years because of Dr. Burke. That's pretty amazing. He was told by M.D. Anderson to get his affairs in order, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he found well, that, that, God, that part's found not God. uncommon. No. That part's not uncommon in, in uh, late stage cancers, where the, you know that just kind of seems to be the legal thing that doctors have to say. You know. Well, I Go wish get they your affairs would learn. in order. Well, I wish they would learn <laughs> to say something else, which is I know I know, know, I know about any other treatments, but maybe there's something out there. Why don't you research? But they don't. I say know that. because what what people say particularly to cancer patients, can be just devastating from an emotional aspect. And if they had any positive thoughts, you know, they tend to turn negative. And, you know, they're a friend what of we mine. think, you know, it's like what we think affects the cells in our body. Oh, and they've actually done studies. Pro- that's, and that's that been proven. That, I know. They actually have done studies that show, you know, if you give a patient six months to live, the patient's going to live six months. Oh, you know? sometimes less. <laughs> or less. Sometimes less. Yeah, it's yeah. so it's, yeah. it's so sad. So I try to tell people, you know, to follow your gut. You know, if you feel that the that the uh, treatment your doctor is, is, you know, you give it a fair shot, right? But if it's right, not working, right, don't don't believe it's hopeless. You know. I um, know. I know. And this is the sad thing. Because a lot of them. So one of my one of my messages is to follow your gut, especially when you've tried you've tried the treatments that your doctor recommends. They're not working, and there are treatments out there. And start doing some research, and mm-hmm. uh, read like mine. That's you know? really good. But yeah, here's really good advice. Yeah. And don't just wait until you're sick. You got to start researching now. You know, before you get sick. Well. You know, there, there's so much disease, and on top of that, there's so much cancer now. One in every three will be diagnosed with cancer within their lifetime. That Those statistics are, are very, very frightening. And that's why we do the shows that we do, um, you know, to, to bring knowledge and to teach people, plus to try to change mindsets. Open and the minds to the possibilities. You know what I found, though? This is so sad. Even people who are knowledgeable about these treatments, you know, in my book, who've had successes, will tell friends and relatives about them. One recently that I spoke with um, mm-hmm. told me that, you know, she has a relative. LDN has been very, very successful for her. 
for her autoimmune disease, and she has a, she has relatives who have other autoimmune diseases, and she's been trying to tell them about uh, low dose naltrexone. And they say, well, I'll ask my doctor, and of course right. they go to their doctors, and their doctors, their doctors. That to me, this if I were to blame doctors for anything, it would be not to be open to learning, you know, about mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. Their doctors will deconvince them. So, but still, you have to. You have to. Some of the blame does does land with the patient because the patients should be more, you know, assertive. But you know, what can I say? We're not always. No, um, uh, fear can block a lot of that. Fear and not yeah, wanting to to step out. You know, mm-hmm. so. I, I don't know. Um, you know, we, we say that the doctors are so busy, but I have case after case after case of doctors who just did not want to to listen. And one good news, piece of good news, though, as I said, I have been uh, coaching uh, patients on how, how to present, what what information to present to their doctors to try to convince them especially with a treatment like low-dose naltrexone. The reason I say especially with low-dose naltrexone out of all the mm-hmm. treatments I write about is that this is one that any doctor can prescribe, whereas mm-hmm. ketogenic diet, you've got to find a hospital that has a ketogenic diet program. With intravenous alpha-lipoic acid, you've got to go to Dr. Berkson or somebody who really knows how to do it. Do you know what I mean? Sure, uh, sure. Low-dose naltrexone is one that any doctor can prescribe. So when I've been That's good coaching to know. Yeah, when I've been coaching patients on what to do, I find that there is some there are some things that patients just aren't doing correctly. As I said earlier, they're saying, Well doctor, I found this treatment on the internet and first of all, don't say that. You know, doctors That's just right. don't like That's to hear right. that you found it on the internet. <laughs> Correct, correct. The second thing is that the patients, I've been stunned that the patients often will not learn, will not even learn about the treatment so that they can convince their doctor. You know, you have Mm -hmm. to bring doctor Mm -hmm. materials and they have to be very carefully chosen and I help them do that because uh, there are materials that will be convincing, but, you know, they often the patients don't know what they, you know, what to bring. For instance, they often don't know that there have been studies, you know, that have been done and very successful ones. So, you know, not big ones. The big studies that uh, have, you know, thousands of dollars, cost millions of dollars to perform, are, I don't know if your listeners know this, but the pharmaceutical companies are the ones who who conduct these studies, and uh, they're not very interested Correct. in things that are low cost, you know, and, and that are going to put them out of business with their other treatments. So that's not going to happen. Well, the 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 other the the pharmaceutical companies, um, you know, it takes millions and millions of dollars for them to conduct the studies to get these drugs passed through the FDA. It does. And so, if if there's a very low cost treatment, it just doesn't serve them to do it. No, as a matter of fact, there's a chapter in my book contributed by uh, Dr. Uh, David Gluck. He was a colleague of Dr. Bahari's. Uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Bahari was very, very ill while my book was being written, and uh, he Aww. subsequently died. I know he would have contributed a chapter, obviously. Oh, that's too bad. But 
Dr. Gluck describes why it is that no pharmaceutical company. He describes the whole pharmaceutical company, uh, pra, you know, process where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people who have a vested interest in the drugs actually do the so-called studies. I, I usually put little, you know, quote marks around the word study, word studies, because when mm-hmm. you do a study and it's about a drug that you want to sell, you know, it's kind of questionable, you know. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Gluck describes beautifully why it is that a treatment like low-dose naltrexone and the other treatments in my book do not have any interest for pharmaceutical companies. They, they, they're not interested at all. I just wanted to step back a moment. Um, in the very beginning of our broadcast, we were talking about Silverlon, and it's an inexpensive wound healing treatment. Um, where can people purchase Ah, this. Great question. And does it need to be, and does it need to be um, administered by a physician? You know, this is a very, very good question. Very good questions. The truth is that they can get it. You can even get it online. S i l v e r l o n dot com. And uh, oh, you okay, can, great. Yeah, but there's a there's a but here. The okay, but, is but. it has it has to be put on in a very particular way. So I actually got when Tim was when he was you know not healing, I got very mm-hmm. explicit directions from Doctor Doctor Bart Flick on how to do it. It has to be put on and put on. I tell the story you know in my book about what the directions were. Okay, good. That Doctor Flick, yeah. And basically, you can't just put it on. It has to be moist, and it has to be sealed up. And it has to be, this is the interesting part, Denise, it has to be a bigger piece than the wound has to be on. For some reason, and Dr. Gluck, uh, Dr. Gluck excuse me, Dr. Flick says that the, it has to be on the, the wound so that it's farther off. It's, it's also covering good skin so that he calls okay. the healing so potential he's of clearing, the he's, So he's kind of um, going beyond the margins. Absolutely. Of the wound. And okay. what I found, oh, this this is going to be, you, you won't believe this, but when I told you that Tim was in the hospital when we put it on his head, well, mm-hmm. the doctors did not read the instructions that I had there and, you know, my complete instructions that I posted on the wall. Oh, my you know, goodness. Oh, my they goodness. Did <laughs> they did it oh, wrong. no. They cut oh. the I, I know. They cut the pieces so they just went over the head wound. I had to do it all over, and I don't know if you know, they were not pleased that I undid their their handiwork. You know? Oh, dear, dear, dear. So dear, I dear. almost got in trouble for that. But uh, it, it's just, uh, it's a wonderful thing, oh. though, that uh, I've had so many people call me about non-healing wounds, and I've been able to help them get the mm-hmm. silver line. And I've been able to have them talk with somebody from the company, you know, who who walks them through how to do it, and it's 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 helped a lot of people. Yeah, it's interesting. I I interviewed a Dr. Crew um, earlier this year, and um, he goes around the United States trying to spread the word to physicians that there is also um, another treatment for that um, for flesh eating disease of all things. And, what is the treatment um, that he talks about? Well, it's actually a pharmaceutical um, liquid that Ooh. will stop the flesh-eating disease. 
And most physicians, most hospitals don't have a clue that it even exists. So, you know, people can listen to Dr. Cruz's um, interview um, on, you know, on our radio. How do you spell his name? I will post it. Um, C-R-E-W, Dr. Crew. And he's he's up in Northern California. Um, Okay. I'll post yeah. it on my on my uh, Facebook pages. Yeah, but but again, it's for flesh eating disease. No, I I've, so. I you know what, I I can't wait to hear the interview because I actually I oh. should tell I should tell you this and your listeners this that I'm constantly looking for treatments that fulfill the same category as the treatments I write about. Basically. I say that they're they're medical treatments. They're really not alternative treatments. Truth to be told, you know. Although I do believe in yes, alternative yes, medicine. Yeah, this is. Yeah, they're different. Yeah. Well, yeah. I uh, are the, the guests that I have. So many of them have come up with truly um, innovative treatments for certain, um, you know, issues that few people know about. So well, I'm going to be pouring over and, and posting. The things that work is the most important thing. And you're saying that this Dr. Crew cannot get his fellow doctors to be interested? Well, it's getting the word out to all of them and the hospitals and the emergency rooms everywhere. They just aren't knowledgeable of it. Yeah, they it's a Dr. Though? John Crew. It was a March 11th um, interview. Um, you can find it on... Um, iTunes. It's also on Blog Talk Radio Health Media now. Okay. You can find it there too. Okay, I will post it. Um, there was a lot of press on it. A lot of press went out on it, and um, uh, it was a really great interview. Well, I would like to talk with him as well. Uh, is is it is it uh, getting used more the treat the treatment that he uh, writes about that he r- talks about? Yeah, he like I said, you know, they do press releases. He's on all all kinds of uh different uh media interviews, TV, radio. So, yeah, he he, he is being more and more successful, but it's still going to take a lot more work. There's just so much out there these days that people just can't keep up on it. And you know what else? You're bringing up another good point, Denise. There's so much out there. You know, when the doctors say there's a lot of junk on the internet, that's true. There is a lot mm-hmm. of junk. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who is telling who who keeps forwarding me things that he gets, you know, on, on from a lot of these um health newsletters and mm-hmm. most headlines are that this treatment cures all cancer or a miracle cure and I'm like, "Oh no." You know. <laughs> Cuz exactly. Stuff, yeah, it's too much. It's it, a lot of the stuff is giving is giving all these treatments a bad name. False hope. Yeah. Yes, false hope. Well, exactly. you know, a lot of the pharmaceuticals give false hope, too, let's be honest. You know, um, I didn't mention a lot of the treatments that are being used for uh, for a lot of the autoimmune diseases are very toxic, and they're not helping in many cases. You know, but but you're right, false hope also on the side of a lot yeah, of these. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really difficult. Well, we're we've run out of time. 
listeners, if you weren't able to tune into the entire broadcast, it does go into iTunes, so you can find it there. You can also find it on our website, Blog Talk Radio, Health Media Now. And I just want to give you a very special thank you to um, our guest, Julia. And, um, and I want to thank author you. author of the book, Honest Medicine. Now, um, Honest Medicine can be purchased at uh, on Amazon. And then Amazon. you also have a website, correct? Uh, and, yeah, on my website, honestmedicine.com, there are links to all the different ways you can purchase it, including Wonderful. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, Nook, Smashwords. I'm trying to make it available to just everybody that wants to read it in whatever form. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. You've done a great job. Thank you so much for Thank being you. our guest today. I have enjoyed it. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, listeners, for joining in. Please join us again next week for another really great show. And until then, be happy and be well. Bye-bye for now. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at HealthMediaNow and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? Listeners, the entire contents of this radio show are based upon the opinions of Denise and her guest. It's not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional, and it's not intended as medical advice. We're sharing knowledge and information from our guest and the experience of Denise and her community. We encourage you to make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional of your choice. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.